What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another collaboration between the 104.601 podcast and the Home Field Podcast. I am the host of the Home Field Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. And I am Kevin Valentin, host of the 104.601. What's going on, everybody? Hope everybody's having a good week. Oh, yeah. Having a good one here. So pretty much the general rundown of the episode is going to entail just a wrap-up of the 2020-2021 NFL season. We'll go over just some basic things. Obviously, we know that the Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl this past weekend. After that, we'll dive into some trade speculation that's going on with some of the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And then we will give our way too early predictions for the 2021 NFL season that will come up in the fall. But first things first, we'll start with this, Kev. Um, just I want to get your general sense of just the NFL season this year. Um, what stood out to you? just in particular across the entire spectrum of the NFL? Well, I'd first off like to, you know, tip my hat to Roger Goodell because he had to deal with uh, an uncontrollable circumstance in COVID-19, obviously like all the other commissioners around the, the country and in North American sports, there were a lot of question marks and a lot of things that they needed to kind of learn on the fly in terms of, you know, COVID protocols, contact tracing and all that, I, you know, other than the, Pittsburgh Steelers and Ravens game around Thanksgiving and the Titans kind of shutting down all activities for about a week. I would say that the NFL relatively did a pretty good job at finding ways to contain COVID. And, you know, those players that did test positive, they did what they needed to do in terms of quarantining. So I would say, you know, hats off to them doing what they needed to do to keep player safety a number one priority. But overall, as a season, I mean, it was a great season. It was a surprising season there were a lot of teams that found ways to dig themselves into relevance I mean just you know first and foremost I'm just thinking of the Cincinnati Bengals all the hype behind Joe Burrow before he got hurt you know what I mean you know you obviously have the NFC East kind of being the dumpster fire that it was it never really was as bad as as it was this season and you know uh, the Dallas Cowboys kind of showing their hand this season you know needing Dak Prescott because mm -hmm. without him they were absolutely embarrassing Andy Dalton did what he could towards the end of the year but it was just a tad too late and, you know, injuries, 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 injuries early on in the first three, four weeks of the season. I mean, we, we saw a list of what, 30 to 40 superstars that were just immediately out of commission for the season. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, f I found that, you know, the next man had to step up on a lot of teams and a lot of organizations. I felt that, you know, certain players played up to par for contracts, obviously naming Deshaun Watson went and showed he was well worth his contract. Uh, Patrick Mahomes obviously did what he needed to do, excluding his Super Bowl performance, which is semi his fault, semi not. And uh, obviously, you know, Bucks winning it all, man. I mean, it, it goes to show that the quarterback is the most important position because the Bucks, relatively, as we've discussed with Fred and by ourselves, the Bucks team on paper was pretty much what it was, other than Gronkowski and um, Tom Brady and Leonard Fournette. And obviously, you know, the addition of Tom Brady just was that big difference maker. And I think that. Uh, Next season is going to be even better. Who knows? I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to see the moves that are made in the offseason, and I can't wait for the draft. Same here. I, I mean, pretty much to kind of just hit off of some of the points that you made, obviously COVID was such a huge factor going into this season, and a lot of people even on the major networks were talking about whether or not that the NFL was actually going to get through this season with COVID being just the main focal point to deterring that possibility, and Sure enough, they had some bumps along the way, but they were able to get to the Super Bowl this past weekend relatively unscathed. They were able to play all the games. None of the games got canceled. And I remember when I was at the Super Bowl just a couple of days ago, they had made a point that 
eight one hundredths of a percent of the tests that they administered throughout the entire season. That included players, coaches, team personnel, you name it. Only eight tenth, only eight hundredths of a percent of the tests administered came back positive. So you have to give a lot of credit to all the members on the teams, not just the players, but the coaching staffs, the team personnel, anybody associated with those organizations, they really did a great job trying to do the best they could to mitigate outbreaks with COVID-19. Obviously, there were some issues that some teams had to contend with, but I think by and large, the NFL did a pretty solid job. And just from a PR perspective, recently, that's probably the best thing that they could hope for, obviously, with the concussion issue that they had to deal with a couple of years ago, wasn't a good look for them. And I'll tell you this, they, they definitely have improved their image to me just with this situation. Cause I thought they handled this as best as they could have just with the amount of people that you have to test on a regular basis with 32 teams across the league. So I, I give them a lot of credit for that. And I don't go out of my way to give Roger Goodell a lot of credit, but I will hear, I think he did the best job that he could have. But as far as like the rest of the league goes, I think obviously the T Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. I mean, that was something that you and I had discussed at the beginning of the year of a possibility and it came to fruition. I actually didn't have the Bucs winning the Super Bowl. I thought the Saints were going to get to the Super Bowl and they would face off against the Chiefs. But as Tom Brady, he proved to be the difference maker of that team. I mean, they were seven and nine last year with Jameis Winston. But Brady goes in there, they go 11 and five, win three road games to get to the Super Bowl, and then they just demolish the Chiefs in the biggest game of the year. So, you know, Brady's, you know, GOAT status is forever cemented after this game if it wasn't already. And um, I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting to see whether or not that he goes for eight next year. And that's a real possibility right now, but we'll kind of see with that. Other than that, I, I think some teams that really kind of stood out to me were the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns made a huge step this year, obviously winning that first playoff game in a very long time against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a huge win for them. They were very close to actually getting to the AFC Championship game, just didn't work out against the Chiefs. And then other than that, I want to say one of the teams that kind of disappointed me this year were the Seattle Seahawks. I really thought that they had a chance to make theirs, make a really solid foothold in the NFC this year. And they got bounced out in the NFC wild card against the LA Rams. I wasn't clear. I wasn't expecting that. I imagine most of Seattle wasn't expecting that. I know you, you picked the Rams in that game. So kudos to you, but yeah, that I just thought that Russell Wilson, I thought his play was pretty solid this year. He started out on fire, but just couldn't really carry it into the second half of the season and into the playoffs. They, they got bounced out pretty early. We'll, we'll obviously get into him a little bit later, but other than that, that's pretty much the, the main focal points that I wanted to hit. I still think it was it was a great season, despite the fact, obviously, not having the fans in there definitely took away from the experience. Um, but I think most fans would probably tend to agree that at least there was a season. At least we were able to get through it throughout the entirety of the season. And we just look forward to the upcoming season starting in September next year, uh, next season. Yeah, man, I'm being the football heads that we are and, you know, the gurus that we want to aspire to be. The fact that there is absolutely no football in terms of actually being played until probably, I don't know, OTA started in April, end of April, early May or like mini camps or rookie mini camps. I know they start pretty much like a relatively around the spring, right? Well, typically, I know they didn't do it last year. 
Well, I mean, I would assume that this year might be a little bit different now that they know how to prepare. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll definitely be careful. I don't know what they're going to do for the combine this year, if they even have it this year. And I, I'm not 100% sure that they're even going to have it this year, but I'd have to double check on that. Um, with, with the with the offseason trainings, uh, training activities, I think they'll be able to hold those. I think they're going to have to be definitely careful about holding those. And I don't think they're going to hold them the way that they traditionally held them, but I think they'll be able to make it work this year. The draft, I don't know what they're going to do with the draft this year. I think it's probably going to be all virtual this year. Again, and then, yeah. and then I imagine for training camp, it'll be kind of similar to what I think they're going to do for OTs, OTAs this year. Kind of space everybody out, try to mitigate COVID chances. Obviously, they'll be testing on a regular basis. So, But I do think that they will be able to have some training activities during the offseason this year compared to last year when they didn't. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, to know that we have to wait about three months just to get some kind of football action, even if it is just OTAs, it is going to be a very painful couple of months. But to know that football news kind of continues for the next couple of weeks, especially, well, not right now, but once March hits and that free agency starts, man, I mean, that's kind of segues us into our next topic. This this free agency slash offseason is going to be one for the history books. This is going to be an interesting one. We have some very high key potential quarterback moves to be made in this upcoming offseason. starting off at the top of the list with Deshaun Watson. Uh, Russell Wilson is having some drama over there in Seattle. And then obviously everybody's aware of the Carson Wentz situation in Philadelphia. So, I mean, Kyle, I just got to get your thoughts, man. What do you think is going on here with this, with this quarterback? I'm, I don't know. I'm not, I want to say carousel, but this quarterback situation in the offseason, bro, it seems like it's going to be crazy. Well, there's definitely some instability in some of these organizations and, like you said, they all revolve around quarterback position, which is probably single-handedly the most important position on the team. I mean, I'll start with Deshaun Watson since you brought up his name first. It does seem like to me that Houston is trying to make a clear and obvious attempt to try to maintain him staying in Houston for the foreseeable future. I mean, we talked about it earlier today on Twitter where their president, James uh, Jamie Roots, ended up resigning today, effective immediately. And not only that, they were clearing out some other personnel in their front office as well. I imagine this may have to do something that Deshaun has been bringing up the last couple of years or so with, within the Texans front office. I don't know if it's going to be enough to keep him there, but it does show me that the Texans are fully aware and they feel the pressure of the possibility of him getting moved. And they're going to do, I think, everything that they can not just from a team perspective, but from a management perspective to show him that they are committed to him long-term. It's just really up to Deshaun at this point, whether he, whether or not he wants to stay there. And right now I couldn't really tell you if he's going to stay there. It's really 50, 50, but I'm honestly leaning to the fact that it's probably a higher likelihood that he's going to get moved, even though that I don't think the Texans really want to, because that's their franchise piece right there. And I mean, they would have to get a lot in return for him, for them to really consider moving him. I know Deshaun definitely has his thoughts and feelings on the whole matter with Houston. He's been very frustrated with the, with the team, especially bringing in different guys and trading in trading DeAndre Hopkins was probably one of the biggest issues that he's had to deal with. Obviously, the issues that they had with Bill O'Brien for the last couple of years did not help and did not really get resolved until probably I want to say like five or six weeks into, into this past season. But I think when you look at the Houston Texans organization right now, I think it's clearly in dysfunction. 
I think Deshaun definitely sees the writing on the wall, and I think he's just trying to get out of there before he thinks it gets too bad to the point where it's not going to be salvageable. And what's crazy is we've obviously seen multiple reports from ESPN, from NFL.com. I mean, every front office member has said publicly they do not want to trade him, and they've made it clear that they're not going to trade him. Well, at least at this very moment. Um, that leads me to believe that they're, it's basically going to be a standoff and someone's going to have to cave. And financially, this is going to affect Deshaun Watson eventually because obviously there's a certain amount of money you start losing for every practice that you miss, every minicamp that you miss. And then when it starts to become game time, preseason, there is going to be quite a substantial amount of money that Deshaun Watson is going to be missing out on because of the consistent holdouts. And if he doesn't report, I believe he doesn't attain a certain bonus either. If he doesn't report, there's like a roster bonus or an active roster, something like that. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, but that, I, know that I, I, know, I know that him report or not reporting for sure costs him more and more as, as the offseason progresses. And then him not reporting to specific games, he will for sure end up missing out on some kind of money. I mean, I don't think – I don't know if it's even going to get to that point. I think if it does get to that point – you know, he's got to look at the, the situation. He's got to look at the possibility of, of missing a few games if they drag out this standoff for the for a, not just the short term future, but for the long term future as well. So they they have the so they have the springtime and the summertime to address these issues. I don't know if it's going to be enough. And it may get to a point where, you know, he's going to just stand. He, he's just going to make his stand. Obviously, Houston's going to make their stand and if they're not able to come to some sort of agreement moving forward with him, yeah, it could be, it could be a while before we see Deshaun Watson on the field. If he actually stays with Houston yeah. throughout this offseason. it just depends if he gets traded or not. The, 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 the only reason I say that he'll hold out is because Le'Veon held out and he didn't have the money that Deshaun does. Deshaun just signed that dotted line this last off season, So he has money to play with. If Le'Veon did it for health purposes, I'm pretty sure Deshaun Watson will do it to prove a point, especially with everything going on in the Houston organization of rumored, um, I don't want to say front office dis disagreements or front office issues, but I mean, obviously, you've obviously, we, there have been reports that uh, Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins have come out and said that, you know, he needs to get out and that they support him. Other veterans in the locker room of Houston have said yeah. that they support what it, what it is that he's doing. So, I mean, it's like you said, the writing on the wall seems to be pretty apparent. It's just a matter of who's going to cave first. Is the front office going to trade him, or is he going to have to bite the bullet and stay another year, at least until they find another bull suitor? Because we talked about a few weeks ago, that man's easily worth three to four first-round picks if Matthew Stafford got two. So, Houston's definitely going to get a haul for him because it's definitely going to be picks and players. It's just a matter of who's willing to offer that much and can they truly afford it in the long run? So I don't know. Yeah. But like I kind of said at the, at the top of the discussion here, they, I will say this, Houston definitely is feeling really the significance of this decision that's looming for them. And I do think that they are trying to be somewhat, they're, they're trying to remedy the situation as best as they can. They're, they're making these front office moves. I think they've had to, they have to make these moves just because I think Houston as an organization has been so dysfunctional the last couple of years and they need, I think they just need some fresh blood in that fresh office, in, not in the fresh office, in the front office, just because 
I think Deshaun's just sick of the management at this point. And he's definitely had his issues with the coaching staff. I don't think he's had issues with the players. I think the, I think the players, by and large, fully understand his frustration and the aggravation that, that the entire team, from a management perspective, has brought to the to the entire organization. It's just whether or not that they can remedy the situation in time with new faces coming in to the Texans organization. Oh yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a waiting game right now. You know, reports are continuing to say, like I had said a few minutes ago, um, they're not going to move them. They don't want to move them. But I mean, speaking of reports, we had a, a report come out a couple of days ago of Russell Wilson's frustration with his front office over there in Seattle. And it seems that, uh, all is not happy in the land of the 12th man. So, I mean, what's your take on that one? Because that definitely kind of came out of left field. I didn't think Russell would be on this rumor mill. Obviously, he's not as significant as Deshaun, but, I mean, the fact that there's something circulating in Seattle leads me to, be- leads me to believe that there's something more to this. I think he's frustrated with the offense. I think he's even mentioned the fact that really the offensive scheme, really for the last couple of years, has been pretty identifiable to the defenses that they've been going up against. And, I mean, we talked about when Brandon Marshall was talking about this topic yesterday, about he thinks that Russell Wilson is handling this situation as classy as he can if they are, if he's actually trying to move on from Seattle. I don't intend, I don't really think that that's the case. I, I'm fully of the mindset that Russell Wilson intends and wants to stay in Seattle for a very long time, possibly the rest of his career. It's just that I think there are certain things that they're going to have to address moving forward. I I do think to a certain extent that he is right about the offensive line issues. He has been, he has been sacked more than anybody in the last nine years that he started in the league. So he does have some, he has a point there, but I will say this. There have been points in time during the regular season where he has he has not played up to snuff. Now, this past year, he started out on fire. However, when it got to the middle part, to the latter part of the season, he definitely took a dip. I remember he was at the top of the MVP discussion in the beginning of the year, and then he completely fell off the radar for the MVP by December. It was pretty much between Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and then maybe Derrick Henry at that point. But Russell Wilson was nowhere to be found in that. MVP discussion. So some of this is definitely on him. I can't absolve him of any wrongdoing here. He need, he does need to step up some of his play, but I will say this, the offensive scheme that they have, I think they're going to have to make some tweaks and adjustments with this. I think when he first started in Seattle, they were predominantly based on, on running the football with Marshawn Lynch. Now that that era has completely gone to the wayside, they are now fully dependent and reliant on, Russell Wilson to drive the offense, you know, for all these games. And I think maybe adding some, some offensive linemen either by free agency this year or through the draft, I think that definitely helps them. And it helps the running backs too, because these running backs that Seattle has, they're solid running backs. I mean, they got Chris Carson back there and I know they had Carlos Hyde at at some points this year when he wasn't hurt. So they have some viable running backs here. And I think if they, they bolster that offensive line, they maybe make some adjustments um, in the offensive scheme. I think, I think they'll be okay moving forward, but I don't see a scenario where he gets traded 
anytime soon. I don't think Seattle's front office has any intention of getting rid of him because I think by and large, I think the front office is pretty happy with him other than maybe not getting the playoff production that they want out of him out of these last couple of years. But I see Russell Wilson staying there for a very long time. I don't see him getting moved. I think this is just kind of, there's a little bit of frustration that needs to be addressed, but I, I don't think that this is going to be a long-term issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think that the only way that Russell would be moved would be if these conversations that are publicly being discussed turn into arguments, turn into disagreements, and then turn into, well, if you don't like it here, then you can leave. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is, but typically when an athlete or a superstar tends to try to speak their mind and then it becomes public knowledge to the media, people tend to blow it out of proportion. Reports start to get twisted. It becomes a he said and she said kind of thing. And then within, within two weeks, we've seen players say, you know what, screw it and flip the script and say, I want to get out of here. Carson Wentz, throughout the season, pretty much said, I don't want to go anywhere, got benched and said, I'm good, I'm good. And then within two weeks of Jalen starting two games, it became, well, now I, now I want to get out of here. I know it's a different scenario, but in the terms of for the integrity of 14 straight weeks, we heard he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. We're not trading him. And now it's like Carson Wentz is trending everywhere. And we'll get into him in just a moment. But this is how relationships shatter in the league is by bringing things to the media's attention. This could have been handled behind the scenes of him just saying, you know what? I'm tired of getting hit as much as I am. I'm tired of getting sacked. I'm tired of you guys spending all of this effort and money on the wrong places. And Brandon Marshall touched on it very well. In the last nine years, they've only drafted one offensive lineman since Russell's been there. And they continue to try to kind of nitpick at free agent offensive linemen that don't end up panning out for whatever reason, whether that be injury, they're at the tail end of their career, or they just don't play up to snuff. But we already know in the NFC West alone, Russell's got to deal with Nick Bosa, Aaron Donald, and obviously uh, is there, there's not really a pass rusher out there in Arizona like anymore. Chandler Jones. Like a Chandler, oh, Jones Chandler, Chandler Jones. Right. I'm sitting here. I knew there was one, but that's just an example of just one person on every individual team that he has to play, to play two times a year. So what I'm getting at here is if Seattle's front office doesn't start making strides to actually please their superstar, I am on kind of the opposite side of the spectrum. I can see this being the divider between the two parties, and this could be the beginning of what could be the end of Russell's tenure in Seattle. That offensive line is pretty bad as it is. And like you said, if the offense continues to be as predictable or, you know, as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I'm going blank in the middle of a live episode, and it's kind of frustrating. So if, if the offense does remain predictable, like you stated, I think that Russell's obviously going to have to continue to run for his life throughout the season because if corners and defensive uh, coordinators can scheme for this offense, I think that makes it easier for a pass rush to get to him. And if he's got to continuously scramble, eventually, God forbid, an injury may occur, and that might motivate Russell even more to want to leave. So – uh, Brandon Marshall did make a good point. He said he was in the Seattle camp and he said that the offense was kind of a predictable situation where it was kind of a, a run on first down, a run on second down. And then it was kind of like, a, you know, we got to go deep and take a shot. And if Brandon's saying that it's public knowledge, I mean, like imagine what defensive coordinators and scouts are doing for a living. I mean, they're probably reading it. And Russell did throw, I'm pretty sure, two or three league high three interception games. He had a couple this year. He had some yeah. pretty. He had some pretty bad games where he was throwing multiple interceptions in those games. 
Yeah, and I mean, like like I said, I, I know I remember two specifically where he threw three, and it was just like they were just atrocious. But, um, yeah, like I said, I don't know, man. I, I think Russell, with, with everything going on this offseason with quarterbacks, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Russell were to say, yo, I'm tired of this shit. I, I got to get out of here. You're not listening to me, and you're not making moves that I need you to make for me. We got, we got to change this up. Let me make one more point about the whole Russell situation. I, I don't want to say that it's even close to the situation that's going on in Houston between the Texans and Deshaun Watson. It is nowhere near that. So I do think that like compared to that situation, the situation in Seattle is far more manageable. And I, I think to me, just going to have to sit and wait and kind of see what happens over the next couple of months. Obviously they could bring in some free agents. Obviously they could address the situation with the offensive line in the draft. I think as far as the skill position goes, I think they're actually fine. They may add, they may, they could add a tight end. I know they had Jacob Hollister there this year, but they could make an upgrade at the, that tight end position as well. At least kind of throw a little bit of a, a different wrench into the offense, just instead of solely relying on um, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf all the time to throw to. So th- there are some things that, uh, that Seattle can definitely change on the offense here and maybe even improve the defense just because that defense, it can be pretty suspect and they have a tendency to give up a lot of points and it would take a lot of pressure off of Russell Wilson's back if he actually has a somewhat reliable defense. And I think a lot of the issues that may stem from Russell Wilson's mindset is, is that he may be doing too much here where he has to do too much of the carrying and the defense isn't doing enough. So I think, I think there may be a situation where maybe this is like his way of saying, okay, obviously I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but I, I, I can't do this. I can't do 75% of the heavy lifting here. You know, we're yeah. going to have to address some of these issues here. I think, it, I think bolstering the defense too would definitely help the situation as well. Just because that defense, if, if they're not up, it's, it's very difficult for that defense to really stay put as far as, you know, giving the giving Seattle's offense the the motivation to go out there and, and get points just because if that defense is constantly giving up points that means the offense has to match what the defense is giving up possession to possession so I I don't know I I, I think that this situation like I said is not that bad compared to Houston but no. do, do I rule out the possibility that it, it could go downhill yeah but I'll say this if things were to get really bad in Seattle, they would fire Pete Carroll first before they get rid of Russell Wilson. I would see that I'm, first. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not denying that, but at the end of the day, that's definitely not a Pete Carroll call. That's definitely a GM kind of thing of bringing personnel. Pete Carroll has a say in the play calling and, and the scheme that the offense is running, but protection, I genuinely don't believe that's kind of a thing that Pete Carroll can necessarily control. If it came down to a choice of Pete Carroll or Russell, obviously and any organization is going to make a choice and choose their franchise quarterback because a coach can be replaceable. Although Pete Carroll's su- success since he's been in the NFL has appeared, has gotten this team to appear in two Super Bowls with a Super Bowl victory. And obviously he'll forever be scrutinized for the decision to throw the ball on the one yard line. But other than that, they're, they're a consistent playoff team. Uh, Russell Wilson's playing at a very high level for the most part of for the majority of the season. So I, again, I definitely agree that they would let Pete go, but I don't think that it's going to come down to a head coach or a quarterback. That's definitely more of a, 
a GM slash front office decision of, all right, are we going to help him or are we going to continue to do what we want to do? Yeah. It's just, it's just recently though. They, I mean, don't get me wrong. They are definitely a playoff team and they're, they're definitely a contending team in the NFC. They just haven't lived up to that Super Bowl pedigree ever since that loss to the Patriots in Super Bowl 49. And I'll say this, like when, when it came to that, that group of guys that was with Pete Carroll, I'm talking about the Legion of Boom here, that whole team, after that Super Bowl loss, that team was never the same. And I think, I think the idea creeped in that there was definitely some mistrust between some of the players and Pete Carroll's decision-making because look, you had a chance to win back-to-back Super Bowls and you were literally one yard away from doing it and you end up throwing on a second down or a third, I think it was a second down play, um, to Ricardo Lockett for a game-winning touchdown and it ends up getting picked off when you had Marshawn Lynch, you could have just ran it in. So I think I think some of that still kind of, I think there's somewhat of that element still there. I don't know to what degree it is, but I'll just say this. I, I get this sense that Pete Carroll may only have a couple years left there if they don't do anything significant moving forward. I mean, you've got a really good quarterback in Russell Wilson, and this team has Super Bowl aspirations, but they have not lived up to those aspirations in about five or six years. So, I mean, if it gets to a point where the front office doesn't feel like Pete Carroll is, is getting this team to where it should be, it wouldn't surprise me if they get rid of him in, in a couple of years from now. But obviously, I don't want to get too far ahead of the situation in Seattle. It's just we kind of have to see how these things turn out. We, we have to kind of see how this offseason goes for Seattle first. Yeah, agreed. I mean, speak, it, it's weird to transition into this because it's like this offseason seems to have been going on forever in Philadelphia because of how bad they started off and how bad they finished. Everybody knew that this would kind of go one of two ways. Carson Wentz would either get moved and Jalen Hurts would come in or Carson Wentz would get his act together and then maybe get traded. But the end result, Carson Wentz is obviously on the trading block and there are two teams right now that are leading to be suitors. Obviously, first and foremost being the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears. Um, Philadelphia seems to be asking for quite a lot to have Carson Wentz moved. Obviously, his contract is a massive knot to absorb for any franchise. And... Philadelphia just wants a lot in return for a quarterback that had probably one of the worst statistical seasons in history, if not one of the worst statistical seasons in the recent history, or should I say, you know, recent years. So, I mean, I want to go after you because I have a personal take behind it of what it could be. But I mean, what do you think is going to end up happening here with Carson? I think he gets traded. I just don't think that there's, I don't think there's a, a a real significant likelihood that he stays there. I think, I think there's a few issues coming together and coalescing at the same time here. I think that there is, I don't know why, maybe you can expand on this a little bit more than I, than I can, but it, it does seem like there's a, there's some trust issues between Carson Wentz and a lot of his teammates. I don't know if, if you know more than I do about it, but maybe you can tell me why. I mean, I didn't really know. I, 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 since I've dated Isabel, I've obviously been more in tune to Philadelphia and their and their team because I kind of want to know enough about them to have conversation with their family members. So, I mean, I kind of took like a deep dive and I started pulling out some different things from different reporters and former teammates saying that, you know, 
uh, Carson could be a little bit full of himself. Uh, it's pretty much Carson's way or the highway. Carson started to become a little bit high maintenance and a little difficult. Uh, Carson was not happy publicly with the drafting of Jalen Hurts. And, you know, Carson was kind of like, well, I need help and I can't continue to do this by myself rather than saying we need to get it together. So Carson kind of became a, a, a little bit of a diva slash small cancer in the locker room over the last season. And I think that his teammates kind of got fed up with it. So I, I think that that didn't help. And I think that the favoritism behind Doug Peterson kind of keeping him in as long as he did, didn't bode well with the, with the active staff. And I think what they did, when they did make the switch, only a few players remained loyal, that being Jason Kelsey, um, who was it? Miles Sanders it, for a little bit, and obviously uh, Zach Ertz. Ertz. They all had a lot of faith in him, but they saw what Jalen can put onto the field. They saw what Jalen Hurts can do. And obviously, people got even more upset when Jalen got benched in the final game of the season, which led to the firing of Doug Peterson. So, I mean, I think Philly tried to mend the relationship when they did fire Doug. I think that they made a, a similar call, like we said, with the Pete Carroll versus the franchise quarterback. They they decided to let the coach go and see if they can mend and fix whatever it is that happened with Carson. It seemed that that relationship was unfixable, and it just it turned out to be what it is, and Carson is actively being shot. So, I mean, that, that's pretty much what's going on on that aspect. I mean, when you look at Carson Wentz, outside of the one year in 2017 where he was one of the favorites – to win the MVP that year before he tore his ACL. He's been a very inconsistent quarterback. I mean, outside of that, that 2017 season, which he went 11 and two as a starter that year, he was very good that year. But since then, 2018, he's gone five and six as a starter. He was hurt in a couple of games because he only started 11 games. So in 2019, he went nine and seven. It's average at best. And then obviously this year, he was, he was really bad this year. 16 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Had a bunch of fumbles that were lost. It looked like to me he had lost all of his confidence in Doug Peterson this year. And I think it really did reflect in his play just because, I mean, look, he, I know he's had injury issues in the past, but, and I know that he, there have been some issues with the personnel on the offensive line and then maybe some of the receiver, the guys that were playing receiver here. But, I mean, look, Carson Wentz is he's a viable quarterback there's no way that he should be throwing 16 touchdowns to 15 interceptions he's too good for that and I do think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that like I said I think that trust between Doug Peterson and him was either going down or was already shattered during this season and then it got to the point where it was so bad that they ended up benching him for Jalen Hurts and I, and I do think that the Eagles didn't make the right decision to put in Jalen Hurts just because Carson Wentz was playing atrocious football. And I'll tell you this, like when it was really reflected because some of the, some of the highlights that I watched when he was playing for the Eagles, there were times where the offensive line looked completely disinterested in blocking for him. I and agree that, and that, completely. And, that, and that's one of the things that you don't see very often. And that's why I brought the idea of these trust issues that are going on between Wentz and his teammates. And I, I think it really does reflect in, in some of the play that I, that I saw in some of these highlights from earlier this year. And that is really, really distressing as a quarterback when you have this mind, you have, your, you have this thought in your head that, man, maybe my teammates don't have my back. And, you know, whether it's deserved or not, that's a very unsettling thought to have. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's going to be a sticking point for 
some teams that may have to deal with this down the road if he ends up getting traded, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Indy or some other team that's out there that may trade for him. That, that issue is going to have to be addressed, and they're going to have to figure out what went wrong in Philly if he ends up getting traded just because you can't have that thought go unnoticed and not discussed. It's, it's weird. I actually said that to Isabel's dad and her uncle. We were watching one of the recent games toward the end of the, the tail end of the season when Jalen was playing. And we both said, this looks like a tale of two halves. Like Jalen Hurts actually had a lot more time to throw at the same offensive line than Carson did in a lot of instances. And I mean, like a lot more time. And obviously Jalen's a little bit more of a mobile quarterback than Carson is. And that's saying a lot because we're talking about just sitting in the pocket, not having to roll out and have some, some secondary blockers come out on the weak side. We're talking about like just sitting on a three or five step drop. He actually had time to sit and scan. So Mm -hmm. it's funny that you bring that up because I, I, I was always thinking the same thing. And then I didn't know if that was just my bias or that was just me being crazy, but I did notice that. Um, my biggest thing right now with Carson is no matter what happens, he needs to be durable no matter where he goes. So he's got to pass all physical exams and he's got to show that he can play this game for the long haul. Number two, no matter what team he goes to, they have to be able to take that, that roster hit, that, that, that massive cap that's coming. Philly's got to eat some of that if he doesn't get traded before the uh, active rosters are set in for the season. So I think that there's like a roster bonus of like 15 and $20 million for Carson Wentz being on the team. So they definitely have to get rid of him before the month is over. And number three, I think Carson publicly going about saying what he said in the media this week, which was, I prefer to go to Indianapolis puts a big strain on Philly and here's why. So obviously when you listen to offers from other teams for a star player or any, at any position, uh, for the most part, the leverage is in the team's hands because the team has the ultimate decision to go out there and say, hey, we're going to trade you here no matter what it is you say. Now, Carson coming out and saying that, yo, I'd rather play for the Colts than the Chicago Bears, that kind of puts Chicago in a little bit of a bind because if the, the Eagles do force the trade to go to Chicago, you're getting a disgruntled player, you're getting an unhappy quarterback, and you're getting somebody that you know that you may not be able to give an extension to because he doesn't want to be there as it is. What if Carson holds out? What if Carson plays terrible? What if Carson becomes a cancer in that locker room? You know what I mean? Like he already has a reputation that's preceding him to the next team, no matter where it is. So that takes away a little bit of power from Philly because Philly's not going to go and force a trade because Chicago's going to back off and say, yo, I don't want this guy if he doesn't want to be here. And then that means that they have to listen to the Colts offer or they have to listen to another team's offer that may not be as big of a haul as the Bears would have given them. And I think if I'm reading correctly for the culture as reported, uh, again, for the culture of the uh, podcast that I follow for the Indianapolis Colts, Josh and Jason, or should I say Luke and Jason have reported that Ballard has given in his final offer and it's pretty much uh, Philadelphia is kind of just listening to everybody else. And Indy isn't budging. Indy isn't going any higher. It doesn't matter if they get outbid. They're not going to outbid that person. So it's pretty much a take it or leave it from Chris Ballard at this point. There is no speculation or information in terms of what the actual trade consists of. But there have been rumors, again, and speculation that a lot of trade packages do include a Zach Ertz in the deal. So that does include additional picks from other teams and or player swap. So Philadelphia, in theory, could be unloading two of their bigger contracts to free up some cap space to give Jalen Hurts some assistance. But I think if it is Indy, it's not going to be as big of a haul. And for me as a Colts fan, that's something that I like to hear. 
We get to solidify the tight end position, which is a position that we continuously rotate between Jack Doyle, Mo Cox. This season was Trey Burton. The season before that was Eric Ebron. And Jack has been battling injuries for the majority of his career. Uh, Trey Burton was a one-year deal. Mo Cox is the majority uh, run blocking tight end. So, I mean, if we get Zach Ertz, that gives us a viable threat to actually have underneath and in the middle of the field. That's one. And number two, as of right this second, the Colts don't have an active quarterback on the roster that isn't Jacob, uh, Jacob Eason out of Washington from last year, our fourth round pick. So we don't necessarily have any depth or any idea as to what is going on. When Matt Stafford got traded to the Rams, we kind of fell apart. There wasn't any, really much of a backup as far as I was aware of. And then when Derek Carr became available, I believe the Colts looked at him, but I think that Vegas wants a little bit too much as well. Uh, he is a little bit better of a quarterback than Carson Wentz as of late, in my opinion. So I think that Vegas has a right to ask for a little bit more. But if Carson Wentz can come in, we have a top three offensive line in this in this league. We have a great up-and-coming run game with Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines. And if Marlon Mack comes back, we'll see what happens If on a vet minimum deal. I say no more than that. Um, if Zach comes, you have a, a healthy Zach Ertz, and you have a, a, a couple of more tight ends that are veterans in the locker room. And you have one of the best defenses in the league. So Carson immediately comes into a lot better of a situation. And I think that him playing with Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles in their Super Bowl year, makes the relationship an automatic A plus. And I think that that yeah. puts us in a better position to win in the future. And I was just I was just going to make that point too, just because I think for Carson Wentz, I think having that continuity with Frank Reich would be an instant advantage if you're looking at a new team, and specifically with the Colts, they have an outstanding offensive line. They've got a stat running back core. They have some solid, reliable receivers to throw to and some good tight ends to throw to as well. So when you look at the situation that Indianapolis has, I think that's one of the probably more viable places where Carson could actually end up going. And I think if he goes out of his way to ingratiate himself with with his new teammates, I think if he goes there with a go with a clean new slate, I think it'll work wonders for him. And you could really see Carson Wentz's career be completely revitalized if he ends up going to Indianapolis. Obviously, we kind of have to see if that actually comes to fruition or not. But I think it would be a solid move for both parties just because the Eagles would be unloading Carson Wentz. They wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. And then Carson Wentz ends up going to a coach that he produced really well for with Frank Reich back in 2017. He was the offensive coordinator for, for the Eagles during that time. And I think it would, I think it would work wonders for Indianapolis. And, I, and to be honest with you, I think Indianapolis would be a solid top three, top four team in the AFC. If he plays well for him, it's obviously indicative if he plays well for him, but I think he would have more than enough confidence in the offensive line to protect him. He's got more than enough weapons to throw to, and he's got a solid running back core. So I don't think he would even have to really, he wouldn't have this, sensation or this thought process of I got to carry the team he, they have a very solid team around him already and I think just adding him to the mix will kind of even be similar to what Tom Brady went to with the Bucks this past season the Bucks had a solid running back game they added it with Fournette even more they had great wide receivers and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and they had a solid tight end core very similar to what Indianapolis has right now and I think if you just integrate Carson Wentz into that situation I think it could work wonders for him. And you're a Colts fan, and I don't really see – there's some hesitation from you about this possibility or this – Yeah, trait of course. Coming, 
you know, if it ends up happening that way. But I do think that, I think it's a trade worth pursuing. I really do. Uh, so like about a week ago, uh, it's called Bobby Shmurda, uh, free Bobby. So I was, I was, I don't know. I'm thinking here and like me and my dad, obviously my dad's probably one of the bigger cult fans out there, just like myself. And I'm sitting there like a week ago and I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, I really don't want it. I was like 90% sure I didn't want it because of Philly's asking price. I trust my GM and Chris Ballard to know that I'm not giving up two picks for a guy that had one of the worst seasons in his, probably the worst season in his career. And that obviously knocks his asking, his market price down absolutely low. But if we can get Carson on a, on a solid deal, and I mean like solid in the sense of a first round pick, I had, you have to come to terms with it just to get a quarterback of his stature, even though he's not as good as he used to be, you have to give a first to Philly. I've accepted that part. If this trade happens, I think it's a first, a couple of later picks. I don't know if it's third or fourth. I know Ballard values his second to fourth round picks. I don't know what Philly's going to ask for in return. If Zach comes, I don't know if we have to give additional picks. I don't know the player personnel that would be packaging in the group for a trade. But if we give a first, some later round picks, maybe a player or two, depending on who else is packaged in this deal, Philly gives us some form of a pick in compensation because of the amount of the hit we have to take on our cap. I think that kind of make or breaks the trade. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be heartbroken about it because we get to save all of that capital and do what we normally do, which is draft extremely well under Chris Ballard. I believe he's been voted GM of the year two or three times by his peers since he's been on the Colts. So, I mean, that, that, that says exponential words about him. I mean, drafting Darius Leonard out of South Carolina State, nobody knew who he was. Drafting an offensive lineman with the sixth overall pick, trading back and getting him. We could have went and got um, Bradley Chubb out of uh, North Carolina State, and we ended up trading back to get Quinn Nelson. We drafted Rocky Yassin, Kari Willis. I mean, you name it. We have some studs on this team, and the defense is what it is in large because of Ballard and his decision-making. And Ballard doesn't overspend, and Ballard does, Ballard does not uh, overcompensate. He definitely will not try to outbid other teams if he feels that his voice or his trade is not being outheard. Then he says, you know what? It, it isn't meant to be, and I'll make it up somewhere else in free agency. We have top three cap space, which would – go away if we get Carson and it would definitely diminish, especially if we get Zach as well. So that's why I say, you know, Philadelphia definitely needs to give us a little bit more than just Carson. If it is just Carson, give us another pick so we can have something in the future to pick up. If Zach does come, you know, I, I trust Ballard to know that he's not going to give up, you know, an arm and a leg to go and get two studs. I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think I, I I'm just like, it's like I said at the be at the beginning of this Wentz discussion, I think if they're able to come to terms and they're able to kind of figure out the, the draft compensation or the, the draft picks that they're going to have to give up back and forth between both teams. I think, I think this really does work out both. I, I think this works out well for both teams moving forward. It's just whether or not that he actually gets traded. I do think that out of all the, the situations that we've discussed between Wentz, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, I mean, you can make a case that, that this ship has already sailed with Deshaun Watson. It's still kind of up in the air, even though it's leaning towards him getting traded eventually. It seems to me that like the, the ship of Wentz leaving Philly is already on its way. It's just, it has yet to be finalized yet. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah. It's a matter of the destination of where he's going. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Houston and Deshaun, 
I think there's that looming standoff coming and we kind of have to see how that, you know, it, it, listen, it could rear its ugly head very soon. So we kind of have to wait and see with that one. But moving on to our next topic, it'll be our way too early predictions for the 2021 season. Obviously, we just came off Super Bowl 55 this past weekend with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl championship, winning his fifth Super Bowl MVP as well. So just what are your expectations going into next season? I mean, we've touched on it so many times throughout the year. This this league is in such good hands. We have such talent at the quarterback position in terms of youth. I mean, starting off with Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson. I mean, that 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 list is great. I think this league is trending in the right direction to put up a lot more points. Not that defense is kind of like leaning its way out, but I mean, like we have some high powered offenses around the league and we have a lot of talent on a lot of teams. I mean, like you said, the Browns are out here coming out of nowhere. We do know that the NFC West is going to be the most competitive division in football, depending on what San Francisco does at the quarterback position as well. Um, They get a lot of players back next year that are going to be fully healthy. Uh, Russell Wilson is obviously leading the path there. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And obviously, you know, you have Jared Goff, or excuse me, God forbid, you have Matt Stafford now (laughs) in NLA and Aaron Donald leading on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, like, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I think the Bucs find a way to to go at least a minimum back to the NFC Championship. It depends on who they bring back and who they let go and how their draft goes because if they keep this team together, we talked about it with Fred, this team can very well repeat. It's just we all know how hard it is to repeat. Um, Kansas City, like we touched on last episode as well, it's a matter of who they bring in to assist. Can they help Patrick Mahomes kind of stay upright? And uh, is there a way to get better with the offense that they already have? So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to put them right into another AFC title game as well. Buffalo came out of the woodwork, not that they weren't in the playoffs last year, but I mean, like, I think the dominance of Josh Allen with the relationship of Stefan Diggs was incredible. So, I mean, I, I think that that AFC East is going to be a very, very competitive division. If Tua Tungavaloa does find a way to mesh and get a little bit better with that Miami Miami offense. So, I think that the that division is going to be a good one. The AFC South, we already know. Whoever the Colts land, they're already kind of like a favorite out there just because we're a quarterback away from a Super Bowl, a lot of people say. Uh, I myself agree. So, I mean, between Tennessee, who knows what happens with Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Houston, if Deshaun leaves, not even going to waste time with that one. And then, uh, you know, on on the NFC East side of the ball, I think that that's going to be a pretty much a toss of a coin. The Giants have some pretty solid cap space this offseason. I think that they're going to make a run to try to help Daniel Jones. I think that the defensive end of that ball is going to get a lot better. Um, Washington just signed Heineke today to a uh, two-year $8.25 million deal, a 2.8 or an $8.25 million deal or something like that. So he's He's coming back to back up Alex Smith. Who knows what's going to happen there. Dak Prescott is expected to get a franchise tag in this coming offseason once again because the two sides just cannot come to an agreement. Uh, Philadelphia, they're, they're, they're stuck contractually between a lot of players that are expiring contracts this next season, so they're kind of screwed unless they get Carson's contract off the books. And then, you know, the Washington football team, the division champs, um, I'm, I'm kind of – I said that already. Sorry. I went through all four teams. Yeah, I'm repeating myself. Um, the NFC North, I don't know what's going to happen there. I really think that uh, Green Bay is just going to do it again. I don't see Detroit doing anything with Jared Goff. I don't see Minnesota really making a bounce back unless Kirk Cousins stops turning the ball over as much as he does. And I think that uh, 
the Bears really depending on what they do offseason. I know that they made the playoffs by the skin of their teeth, but I mean, we all know that they have a semi-talented team. So it's whatever Matt Nagy's going to figure out over there. But overall, I think next season, if I had to put a very, very early prediction, um, I would say the Chiefs for the most part remain at the number one spot. I will say that Tampa is at two. I will put Buffalo at three. And because of the the leaving of Drew Brees or the, you know, the expected retirement of Drew Brees, I think that the Saints take an immense step backwards because we do not know what's going to happen there. So, um, again, I would probably put Chiefs, Bucks. Uh, what did I say? Chiefs, Bucks, Bills. I'd probably say just to get to a five. I'm trying to round out the top five. Um I'd probably say Green Bay at four. I don't know, man. I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland catapults their way up. I mean, they're like just a couple yeah. of picks. So they're just a couple yeah. of pieces away from being a very, very threatening and scary team. And that was really one of the things that, that stood out to me. Um, I did forget to mention um, one of the teams that really kind of surprised me this year was the Buffalo just absolutely – having a sensational this year, getting a sensational year this year, getting all the way to the AFC championship game. Obviously it didn't work out for them, but I fully expect them to be back in the saddle in top of the AFC East this year, obviously in that same division, we're going to see what happens with new England. They're going through a whole rebuild phase right now. See what happens with the quarterback position there. But I think Miami's got a solid team there. I think the AFC is pretty much going to go through Buffalo at this. The AFC East is going to go through Buffalo at this point. Um, then really across the AFC spectrum, I still think the Chiefs are the number one team to contend with across the entire conference. I know it didn't work out well for them in the Super Bowl, but listen, it's Patrick Mahomes, man. It's can never really doubt on that guy. No, it didn't work out in, in Super Bowl 55, but that guy's got a really good career ahead of him. And I expect great things from him moving forward, including this upcoming season. I think the I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit on the most competitive division in football i do think it's actually going to be the afc north next year just because you got you got pittsburgh to deal with you've got baltimore to deal with you've got cleveland to deal did i say cleveland already no okay you got three teams right there that all made the playoffs this year most out of any division this year so i could definitely see a scenario where at least two if not three of those teams get back into the playoffs next year We'll see what happens with Big Ben just because it looks like he's semi-retired already. But if he does come back, I still think that they're a playoff team. How far they get, we'll see. Um, In the AFC South, I still think Tennessee just is a little bit above Indianapolis. But with Indianapolis and this, maybe this Carson Wentz trade going through with Indianapolis, that may change some things. Houston is a dumpster fire at this point, so I don't know what's going to happen with them. And then the AFC West, like I said, the Chiefs are pretty much gonna gonna run it. But in the NFC, I've been waiting all episode to do this. Brady and them just celebrated their Super Bowl championship today with the boat parade. And you know what's gonna happen next year? It's gonna be more of the same. I've got the Henny, I've got this, I've got the brandy. And I'm gonna say right now, Bucks are going back to back next year. They're going to win the Super Bowl next year. I think they're playing the Super Bowl in L.A. next year. My boy Brady and them going back. They're going to win the Super Bowl again. And they're about to get Brady his eighth Super Bowl championship. That's how I see it going down. Because there is nobody 
in this conference that is going to beat them. Aaron Rodgers and them couldn't do it in their home stadium this past season. Drew Brees, like you said, is retiring. And nobody in the NFC West really scares me outside of maybe Seattle. I don't see any of these teams even coming close to what the Buccaneers can do next year. I think the Bucs are going to roll through next year. Mind you, they didn't even have any OTA training this past season. They didn't have a preseason to do this. And they still went 11-5, won all those playoff games on the road, and then won the Super Bowl on their home field and got it done. So that's my pick. I got Tampa going back next year. Tom Brady's getting his eighth pick, eight ring, guys. That's how I see it. Okay, so when this is posted tomorrow, I want you to specifically <laughs> ask Shannon Sharp because this is going to be your variation of Club Shay Shay. Yep. All you need is a cigar, and this is absolute. I need this to be screenshotted and done. Du- <laughs> <laughs> I'm one step ahead of you, bro. I know it's not a black and mild, but I got to do it's a real, actual cigar. So, yo, that's Shannon what's going to be. <laughs> Shannon Sharp, listen to me. Listen to me. This man, Kyle DeBrow, as long as I've known him, has never done this in his life. This is something for the history books. So this is this is kudos to Shannon Sharp. But this <laughs> listen, man, we're talking goats here. You got seven. Might as well oh, go for God. eight. I can't. I can't. You really just pulled that out, and I was trying to look at every direction that wasn't my phone. <laughs> to not look at this stupidity. <laughs> but listen, am I not shit. listen? Am I not spitting facts right now? Am I not spitting facts? It it all depends on what Tampa brings back. If they lose some pieces, it it may not be as simple. We all know a lot of people are up to get paid. It may not be as easy to go and you know resign everybody like we'd like to. I think Levante David took the microphone when somebody said, uh, asked them about uh, this coming off season. I think Bruce Arians took the mic and said, your ass isn't going anywhere. And that is very Bruce yep. Arians-esque. But it's a matter of can they afford to pay Barrett, David, and White. So someone's going to have to fold or someone's going to have to take a pay cut. You boys are going to take a pay cut. Brady's going to restructure his contract. We're going to be good. We're going to be all right. You a Bucks fan now? We're going we to be all right. <laughs> I roll with Brady, son. That's my, that's my guy right there. I got to support him. Sounded like you said we, man. It seemed like you teetering a little bit on the fandom. Don't betray your team now just because they suck. Once Tom goes, I'm out. So are you officially declaring your your fandom for Tom Brady? I roll with Tom. That's my guy. Listen, I already said it in a bunch of these episodes before. I'm going to support my guy. That's why I've been rocking the freaking Brady jersey in these past episodes that we've been doing. That's my guy. So Obviously, that means when Tom, when Tom, no, 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 no. When Tom retires, are you going to go crawling back? To that Patriot lifestyle of being a, a rebuild team, I'm still with them. They, I'm they still suck with right them now. as they celebrate they, for for the month. They they suck. Listen, listen. They went seven and nine last year with a with an offense that could barely score any points. So they actually get somebody who's actually decent at playing a quarterback spot. Listen, they could go nine and seven. They can go ten and six next year. They have all those opt outs from COVID coming back next year. So they may be back in the mix if they actually get somebody who could actually play him the quarterback position and get some goddamn receivers that can actually separate from the goddamn defenders. This man Kyle may have had a sip of that lick. He seemed a little bit more aggressive when we talk about the Patriots. That's why I'm going. That's why I, I got the shots on deck, boys. So 
Well then, ladies and gentlemen, that is all I have for today. Um, hey, club, uh, Kyle, you uh, you good over there, bro? You got anything else to say? Yeah, clubs, club dabs. We're up till two a.m. So we gotta club do something. Dabs. <laughs> like yeah, Man, you know, I'm signing off. This is it. So, I don't have the off button, but stop it. <laughs> Tom Brady, come through. I know you're still lit from that boat parade, but we always take in. Uh, we can always bring in a, a solid party around here. Okay, I hope you maybe he'll throw you the Lombardi Trophy this time. Yeah, I mean, at least Grant caught it. At least he didn't drop. At least he didn't drop it like freaking uh, Scotty Miller dropped Chris Godwin's phone into the the water on that boat parade today. That boat parade was it looked fun. It looked sick. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, but the, the Boston fans are a little bit salty because it wasn't duck boats and Brady was trolling around it in the freaking bay on a two million dollar yacht today. So it's like, look, that's just Boston's a little bit salty that. Their guy left and got a dub in the Super Bowl the first year he left. Okay, well, they're also salty because he's able to celebrate in Florida versus he'd be in a damn blizzard on a bus bro, with, like, a massive winter coat. Bro, he was sauced today. Sauced. Oh, yeah, he couldn't walk. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's going to be a meme later, probably by tomorrow. When's the prize? 100%. It's already a meme. I've already seen stuff for it. Yeah. But, Kev, you got anything else? I, I pretty much – Pretty much cover what I want to go over, so I'm I'm, I'm good. I'm I'm solid. You closing it out with the way you did that, um, Club Dab over here. Uh, as long as it makes more frequent appearances and episodes, we are uh, we're gonna be good to go. Oh yeah, don't be surprised if we get any Brady news during this off season. If he wants to spout off anything about this this past season or this upcoming season, Club Dab's gonna be open for business. Say less. We're going to have more bodega moments from me, too. So, shit. The new podcast going to have some good segments coming up. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. We got to give we gotta give the people what they want. And I know these Tampa fans appreciate this. Couldn't agree with you more. But other than that, man, that's all for me. I appreciate you guys for, uh, for listening, following. Uh, to all our new subscribers, man, we're already at 55 or 56, I believe. Keep on hitting the like button. Keep on subscribing. Keep liking our videos, man. We really, really appreciate all the support. Yeah, for sure. And like I said in the previous videos and the previous episodes before, this will be uploaded to the Homefield Podcast YouTube page. Obviously, Kevin will be tagged in all the videos that we put on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. So definitely give the 1046 and 1 podcast a look. He'll definitely be posting this on his podcast as well. So definitely go check it out and check it out for yourself. So but that's here. That's it from my end. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Kev, you got anything to say before we wrap this up? No, sir. Hope you guys have a, a great day and a good weekend, man. I'll see y'all later. For sure. You guys take it easy.